Let's take our Bibles, brothers and sisters, and let's first go to Paul's letter to the Romans. We read Romans 5 from verse 12. And we read this in connection with Lord's Day 23 of our Catechism, which deals with our righteousness before God. How are we righteous before God? So we read first Romans 5. From verse 12, and the Apostle writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment, following one trespass, brought condemnation. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For, as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So far our reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, we now go to Genesis and we read Genesis 15 from verse 1. Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God... What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, 
so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So far the reading of God's holy word. This afternoon I preach to you the word of God as we confess it in Lord's Day 23 of our Catechism. On page 537 of our book of praise. And we note that in Lord's Day 22, we came to the end of the, of the Apostles' Creed. We dealt with the confession concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And our Lord's Day 23, under the heading of our justification, continues. But what does it help you now that you believe all this? In Christ I am righteous before God and an heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Why do you say that you are righteous only by faith? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. For only the satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. So far our reading from the Confession of the Church. We now listen to the preaching of the Gospel and afterwards we sing in response Psalm 32 verse 1 and verse 5. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 5 after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, in 1859, Jean Blondin walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. While he was walking way up there, above the water and above the rocks, there was a hush over the crowd. No one dared to make a sound. But when the crossing was completed, everybody cheered. But then Blondin raised his hand for silence. And he told the crowd that he would go back across the falls, carrying someone on his back. He asked, you think I can do that? And again, everyone cheered. They had no doubt Blondin could pull that off. And so Blondin 
pointed to one man who was cheering. And Blondin said to him, I'll take you. But that man shook his head. He was happy to watch Blondin carry other people over the falls. But not me. Let someone else go instead. And in the same way, all those people who were cheering, they declined the offer to be carried across the Niagara Falls. And finally, Blondin walked back across the falls with his manager on his back. No one else dared. No one really trusted him. And we understand, beloved congregation, we understand that believing in theory that a man can carry another person across the Niagara Falls, believing that, that's one thing. But for you to climb onto his back and for you to let him carry you across the Niagara Falls, that is a different story altogether. Just like, just like it's one thing to believe what the church confesses as summarized in Lord's Day 7 through 22 of the Catechism. Those Lord's Days which deal with the Apostles' Creed. In the last 16 weeks or so, we have dealt with the gospel of God the Father and our creation. The story of God creating the world and the promise that God continues to uphold all things. We also dealt with the gospel of God the Son and our redemption. How Jesus bore the wrath of God to pay for sins. And the gospel of God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Through Lord's Days 8 through 22, every Lord's Day has showed us who God is and what God does or has done for our salvation. And now, in Lord's Day 23, the Catechism asks you, how do you fit into this picture? How are you involved in this story? Are you perhaps standing on the sideline, able to talk intelligently about what God has done? Maybe you can discuss it theologically, academically. Or, or do you embrace everything that God has done? And can you say, everything that God has done, he did for me? And can you also say, what God has done changes my heart, changes my life, and will change me in all eternity? Beloved congregation, do you want to catch a ride to heaven? Or will you stand by and watch? I preach to you this afternoon the gospel of your salvation under the following theme. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are righteous before God and heirs of eternal life. 
And we pay attention to three points. The hunger that comes from faith. The change that comes about through faith. And the focus that stands central in faith. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are righteous before God and heirs of eternal life. First, we consider the hunger that comes from faith. Now, the setting for Lord's Day 23, brothers and sisters, is clearly the courtroom. This is about God's heavenly courtroom. And we understand in every courtroom there is a judge who decides guilty or not guilty. Then there is also the defendant, the person who is being charged with a crime the judge and the defendant. And besides, there is also an accuser, what we call the prosecutor. And as well, there can be a lawyer, a defence lawyer. In Lord's Day 23, God is the judge. You and I and all people will one day have a turn being the defendant. That's going to happen on Judgment Day. And then, for all Christians, Jesus is our defence lawyer. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus says, Father, I paid for his sins, and for her sins, and for their sins. And then finally, the word Satan... The word Satan means literally accuser. And so we can call him the prosecutor. We can imagine that when we stand before God, then Satan will tell God everything that we have done wrong. And Satan will challenge God by insisting that God must condemn us all to hell. This is how the Bible Pictures for us the heavenly courtroom. But brothers and sisters, we can change this picture in various ways. I mean, every Sunday morning, we hear the Ten Commandments. Every Sunday morning, God reminds us how he wants us to live. No other gods, no images, no taking his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and so on. And every Sunday morning when we hear the Ten Commandments, we think back over the past week and then we might remember details like how mum told us to do something but we pretended that we did not hear her. And so we disobeyed. We might remember our teacher at school telling us we had homework to do, but we decided to pretend that we never heard her. And so, when we hear on Sunday morning, honour your father and your mother, then it is not the devil who accuses us of wrongdoing. The devil is not the accuser in the courtroom. Instead, God's commandment 
accuses us. And when we think about this, brothers and sisters, we can reimagine that heavenly courtroom where it is not Satan who accuses us of wrongdoing, but it is God instead. And so we understand. On the day when we will appear before God's throne of judgment, our accuser will not be just Satan, but God's law as well. God's law accuses us of wrongdoing. And now this could be the end of the story for us, brothers and sisters. We could say, when we stand before God on Judgment Day, it will not be Satan who will accuse us. Instead, it will be God himself, God's law that accuses us. But the Catechism, in answer 60, does not say that Satan accuses us and neither does it say that God's law accuses us instead the catechism says my conscience accuses me my conscience is the prosecutor that accuses me so why does the catechism say this where does the catechism get the idea that my conscience accuses me To answer this question, brothers and sisters, we need to be honest. We need to be honest and admit that we have got a serious problem. So what is my problem? Well, when I hear the Ten Commandments, when God's law is supposed to accuse me, And I'm supposed to feel guilty. In fact, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Hearing God's law does not make me feel guilty. And you wonder why not? Well, because I am a child of Adam and Eve. Remember in paradise, when God came down to Adam and Eve, and God asked Adam about eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God said, Adam, how could you do that? And God reminded Adam that God had strictly forbidden eating the fruit of that tree. God used his commandment. God used the law to accuse Adam. And then, did Adam feel the accusation of God's law? Did Adam feel guilty? And respond by confessing his sin? Actually, no. Instead, Adam defended himself. Not my fault, God, Adam said. Not my fault, but the fault of this woman whom you gave to me. She made me do it. Accept the blame. Admit my guilt. Since our fall into sin, since our fall into sin, That's not the way we do things, brothers and sisters. Instead, already when I was two years old, when my mum first started to use the law to accuse me, very soon I started to find ways 
to defend myself. Denying. It wasn't me, Mum. Deflecting. He did it first, and I just did it back. And making excuses. Like, I forgot. It made no difference whether Mum's question was, did you smack your brother? Or did you take that money? Or why didn't you do your homework? My whole life long, beloved congregation, my whole life long I have been practising, not taking responsibility for my mistakes, denying, deflecting, making excuses. And so when I come to church on Sunday morning, And when I hear the Ten Commandments, hearing God's law should make me feel guilty and should make me humble and should make me cry out to God for forgiveness and salvation. But it doesn't work. Because even when I know that I do not keep God's law perfectly, I really don't think that I am such a bad person at all. And this, this is where the catechism begins, brothers and sisters. At the beginning of the sermon, Satan was our accuser, remember? And then we saw that God's law became our accuser, remember? But neither of them have any impact in here. So in answer 60... We read that Satan is not my accuser anymore and God's commandments are not my accuser anymore either. Instead, my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them and am still inclined to all evil. My conscience accuses me And this is so very, very important, brothers and sisters. Because when my mum accuses me, and even when the law of God accuses me, that accusation comes to me from outside of me. And I have built up these walls, these defence mechanisms, this thick skin which all these accusations cannot penetrate. Because inside my heart, I am so busy telling myself that I am not too bad. But now, says the Catechism, my conscience accuses me. My conscience accuses me. And if my conscience accuses me, that means now this accusation of wrongdoing is coming from right inside my own heart. I am accusing myself so that it is no longer someone out there telling me that I'm a horrible person and I deserve the wrath of God, even eternal condemnation. Instead, I am accusing myself. My conscience is accusing me. That means... I know so very well for myself 
that I don't love God the way I should. I am accusing myself that I am so often proud and jealous and greedy and easily offended. Now, now I don't need you or anyone else or even God's law to jab me and to poke me and to make me feel that I am a broken and guilty person because my conscience is accusing me and so I know my sins. I know my misery. I know it well enough myself. And do you know how this works, brothers and sisters? Think about a string on a guitar. And let me ask you, have you ever fiddled with a guitar string and tried to make noise with a guitar string? A guitar string by itself produces pretty well no sound at all. But when you attach the guitar string to a guitar, when you tighten it and then you pluck it, then it makes a mighty sound. It makes a mighty sound because the sound of the plucking of that string, it resonates. It is amplified in the body of the guitar. That's the difference between plucking a guitar string and plucking a guitar string that is attached to a guitar. And in the same way, any person can sit in church on Sunday and can hear the Ten Commandments and can say to himself, yes, I made a mistake here and I did that wrong. But the bottom line is that I'm still a decent person, better than them and them. But when the Holy Spirit works in me, then I am transformed from the inside out. My heart becomes like the body of a guitar. And then the accusation of Satan. The accusation of the law. The accusation that I fail to love God and I fail to love my neighbours. That accusation, it resounds in my heart. It is amplified in my conscience. And then... I begin to say, together with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, Oh, what a wretched man I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because now my conscience accuses me, and I know that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments. I know that I have never kept any one of God's commandments. And I know that I am still inclined to all evil. My conscience, moulded by God's law. My conscience, made sensitive by the working of the Holy Spirit, has become my accuser. So, when God is my judge, when my own conscience is my accuser, then who will defend me? 
because my conscience is my accuser. Now I need the gospel. I need someone to speak for me in my defence. This is our first point. In our second point, we will now consider the change that comes about through faith. Again, in Lord's Day 23, we are standing before the throne of God. You and I are defendants. Satan was accusing us. Then the law of God took over and accused us. And now our consciences are accusing us that we are sinful and we, de- and we deserve to be condemned to hell. Then What is the verdict of the judge? The catechism says, God imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ. God imputes that to me. Like when I go to a restaurant, when I'm done with my meal, When I ask the waiter for my bill, then the waiter writes down everything that I've been eating and drinking. He adds it all up and he calculates the total. That's how much I have to pay. But if, if God imputes to me the satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ, then God takes all that off the bill. All the payment that Jesus has made all the righteousness of Jesus' life, all Jesus' holiness, God imputes that to me. He takes it off my bill. And so the bottom line, how much do I have to pay? Brothers and sisters, the gospel, the Lord of heaven and earth, the righteous judge, when he does all the maths. He tells us that the balance that we need to pay is zero. Instead of charging me for all my sins, instead of making me pay, he gives me eternal life instead. He's done the maths. He says I owe him nothing. The catechism says, that God imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ. God imputes it to me. The word impute is used in the story we just read together from Genesis 15. In that story, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. And God counted that faith and God regarded that faith as righteousness. We ask, is faith really righteousness? Does faith really count as righteousness? Well, brothers and sisters, imagine. Imagine if this evening... 
before our children go to bed? Imagine that dad says to his to one of his children, imagine that dad says to one of his children, tomorrow morning, before you go to school, I want you to clean up your bedroom. Imagine that he says to you, if you do clean up your bedroom before you go to school, then after school, I'm going to take you fishing. And so tomorrow morning, you get up and you don't clean up your bedroom. And you go to school without cleaning up your bedroom. And then imagine that dad goes to your bedroom and dad cleans up your bedroom for you. And then just after three o'clock, dad comes to school and he tells you, no, you didn't clean up your bedroom. No fishing. But then you say, dad, I am sorry. I am very sorry. And then your dad says, okay, you did not clean up your bedroom like I told you to do. And so you don't deserve to go fishing. But now I will. I will impute to you what I have done for you. And I will treat you as if you have done yourself what I have done for you. What you did was not clean your bedroom. No, what you did was only be sorry. But now God takes that being sorry. And God says, for me, that being sorry in itself, it's kind of enough. It's kind of enough because what makes all the difference? What makes all the difference? What I did for you. Cleaning your bedroom for you. I will count that as if you did it yourself. This is what happened in Abram to Abram in Genesis 15, brothers and sisters. God came to Abram with promises. And Abram found it difficult to believe. And then finally, when Abram did believe God, then God counted that believing as righteousness. God put that believing on Abram's account as if Abram was righteous. Again, Abram was not really righteous. Instead, Abram sinned in many ways, just like you and I. But when Abram believed God, God said, because you will believe, I will take what Jesus Christ has done and I will put what Jesus Christ has done on your account. God takes what Jesus does and God imputes that to Abraham. God reckons that to the account of Abraham. The satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ. So how are you righteous, my brother, my sister? The catechism says only by faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus, God takes what belongs to Jesus. God takes what Jesus did 
And God puts it all on your account. And then God says, you are righteous. You are holy. To you I give eternal life. Not really because of your faith. Really because of what Jesus has done. That is our second point. In our third point, we will now consider the focus that stands central in faith. When Dad says, when Dad comes to school, when he says, I promised that I would take you fishing if you would clean up your room. But you did not clean up your room. But now I will still take you fishing nevertheless because you are sorry. Because you are sorry. Then of course, in this story, the key question is, are you really sorry? Are you really, really sorry for what you've done wrong? Or are you just pretending to be sorry? In this story, that's important. And in the same way, when the Bible says that we are saved by faith, it is important that our faith is real. Our faith must be genuine. Because if our faith is not real, then our sins are not forgiven. And so we are not righteous. And then for us, the road to heaven is still closed. And for many Christians, brothers and sisters, for many Christians this creates an awful problem. Because what now becomes their focus? Many Christians spend their days looking inside their own hearts and asking themselves, do I or do I not have real faith? We look in our hearts and we look at our lives and we question whether we are or we are not genuine Christians. And so I want to go back for a moment to Martin Luther and the Reformation, brothers and sisters. Martin Luther, the Reformer, he believed the promises of the gospel and he wanted to believe that he was saved. But Martin Luther kept on looking in his own heart, questioning whether his faith was okay, questioning always whether his repentance was sufficient. Martin Luther kept on analysing his own life and his own heart, questioning always whether he was living enough like a Christian. What a man-centred, self-centred religion that was. And then, what Martin Luther eventually learned to do and what you and I and every Christian also needs to learn to do is this, to look outside of ourselves and seek our salvation outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus died 2,000 years ago on the cross of Golgotha. And there he paid for your sins and my sins. Think about that. Believe that and put your trust in him and in his sacrifice instead of navel-gazing. Because what Jesus did there on the hill of Golgotha, that is the only ground of our salvation. And when we get this straight, we come to the climax of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Truly the climax of the gospel. Because everything has been turned upside down. Remember, at the beginning of our first point, God came to us with the law, the accusation of the law. And then we saw that when the law of God accuses us, it comes from outside of us. And so we build up walls to protect ourselves because we do not want to admit our guilt. The accusation came to us from the outside. While inside our hearts, we were defending ourselves. But now, at the end of Lord's Day 23, precisely that has been turned around. Now, because we are Christians, now because the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, now the accusation of wrongdoing this accusation, it comes from inside us. It comes from our own consciences. The enemy that accuses us is in our insides. And so, for our defence and for our comfort, we now look outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ. To the Bible. Now I have become my own accuser, but I find comfort outside of myself in the Word of God, in the promises of the Gospel. And when this happens, God has achieved victory in our hearts and in our lives. Truly, my brother, my sister, we believe in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We believe everything that is written in the Bible. But what difference does it make? How does it help us? The answer of the Catechism. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts and he uses the law, to stir up our consciences so that we know our sins and we know our unworthiness that's inside us. But the same Spirit who makes us aware of our wrongdoing and our unworthiness, he comes to us with the gospel and he makes us believe the gospel promise that Jesus died for me, 
to save me from my sins. So there is nothing good that lives in me. But God is good and he has opened for us the door to eternal life. That is God's grace in Jesus Christ for you and for me. Amen.